pray for the church and needs we have. So I want to remind you that's today at 4 o'clock here in the sanctuary. Second of all, I want to mention Operation Christmas Child Shoeboxes. You've heard us mentioning these in recent weeks. We've seen some videos about this. It's a great way to pack a shoebox of gifts and send it to the nations to take the gospel to the nation. So there's still boxes available in the hallway outside the church office here if you want to get one. And we've already gotten our first completed boxes back. So Paul family, wherever you guys are, y'all are the first ones to bring completed boxes back. And we're excited to see them start. start There you go. Start, excited to see those coming back in. And so if you don't have boxes yet, get them in the hallway. Fill them up. Our collection dates are November 7th and 14th. So we need to have those back by November 14th. For the ladies, a special opportunity for you. As you know, several weeks ago, the ladies went on a retreat down to the beach for a Nancy Lee DeMoss Revive Our Hearts simulcast. They did it as a retreat. Now, a lot of you had said you wanted to go but couldn't get away for the weekend. And so they're bringing that back but doing it as a one-day retreat on Saturday, November 13th. The topic is Grounded, Standing Firm. In a shaking world. And so, ladies, if you went on the retreat and want a refresher of what you saw, or if you didn't get to go and you'd like to come participate, it'll be a one day thing with lunch provided here at Gateway Saturday, November 13th. We'll be emailing you more details later this week with online registration. We'll be online by the end of the week. One last announcement is there's an opportunity to serve. We've mentioned to you guys before, but we need help with the tech team. The guys who behind the scenes are up in the sound booth running the live stream for those at home who are running the projection for in the room here, doing the audio for the service. So if you'd like to serve and you enjoy technical side of things, there are places to plug in. See Justin for more information on that. Well, lastly, we get to introduce a new member family. So, Gambles, you guys come on up here. They were out of town last week, and so we were introducing other new members. They weren't able to be up front with them, and so we want them to come here. You get to know them as they've completed the membership process. They've been, they're no strangers to Gateway. They've been around for a while and um, have finished it. And, and, yeah, you can come on up here if you want to. AJ's finished the membership process, and we're excited that they're part of our church family here. But this is AJ and his wife, Kalei, and you've got their boys here, Nate and Levi and Elena, who is almost one. And so the Gambles said they both grew up homeschooled and they're currently homeschooling their kids. AJ works for a local small business, and he's got a fascinating job. He makes computer control systems and security systems for jails and prisons and travels across the country installing security systems for jails. So he's got some fun stories he can tell on all that. His hobbies, they enjoy camping. In fact, they were on a trip this past week out camping as a family. They love being outdoors, fishing, and anything they can do fun together as a family they enjoy doing. So if you don't know the Gambles yet, hope you'll come talk to them after the church service, get to know them, take them for a meal, have them in your home. They're a fun family. Hope you get to know them. Let's, let's welcome them to Gateway. We're glad that the Lord has brought you guys here. Well, can I ask you to stand, please? I want to read some scripture for us as we prepare our hearts to sing to the Lord this morning. We're going to begin this morning singing about, Come Thy Fount of every blessing. And this pray this will be our prayer this morning as we think about the greatness of God and ask Him to anchor our lives in all that He's doing for us. Let me just remind us of how great the Lord is. Psalm 145 tells us, I will extol you, my God and my King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. Friends, let's declare the greatness of the Lord in song together this morning. As we get ready to sing, I wanted to share this uh, verse from 1 Samuel. If you look at it, it says, uh, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shin and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. And if you look at 1 Samuel in chapters 4 to 7, 
you'll see these, this battle between the Philistines and the Israelites and it is ongoing back and forth, back and forth. And then um, after the Lord has helped the Israelites overcome the Philistines and gain the victory, Samuel sets up this stone called Ebenezer. And the uh, name of it literally means stone of help. And it was set up as a reminder to the Israelites that Jesus, God, was their stone of help in overcoming the Philistines. And we're about to sing in this verse too, here I raise my Ebenezer, here by thy great help I come. And I pray that thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. That Jesus saw me when a stranger, warning from the fold of God, he to rescue me from danger, interpose his precious blood. And that God, we can raise our Ebenezer, our reminder that God is our stone of help in times of need, and that even just in our salvation, that he has helped us out of our sin and had given us new life. So as we get ready to sing this song, come thou fountain of every blessing. And come thou fountain of every blessing to my heart to see thy grace. Streams of mercy never cease.
baby seated. Speaking of joy, we get the joy of baby dedication right now. So Kyle, come out from behind the drums back there. Kayla, come on up with baby Winnie. Your other kids are welcome to come stand with you as well up here. There's lots of things to give us joy as believers in the church family and baby dedications is one of these special times that we get to celebrate together what the Lord has done in our midst and commit our children into the Lord's hands. So this is, if you don't know, this is Kyle and Kayla Watley here. They've got the big siblings here standing with their baby sister. This is Margaret and Weldon and Riggs all standing here. And this, the precious one right here, is baby Winnie so standing here before you this morning. So why are they standing up here in front of their church family this morning? Because Kyle and Kayla believe that God is sovereign over all things. And as sovereign, that means that our children come from Him. Our children ultimately belong to Him. And our children, excuse me, are entrusted to us as gifts from God to raise for such a time as this according to his purposes. Now we see this truth in Psalm 127 verse 3. You heard me read it before, but it says, Children are a heritage from the Lord. That means that they're a gift from God. And Kyle and Kayla understand that Winnie, along with their other three older ones, are gifts from God entrusted to them from the Lord. We also see this truth in the scriptures in 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, you have this amazing account of Hannah 
praying for a child, and God grants her the child, the desire of her heart. And in 1 Samuel 1, she takes her child back to the temple to present to the Lord and says, For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. I have given him back to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And that's the recognition that our children belong to the Lord. And we give them back to him to say, Lord, they're yours. Help us raise them as you would have us raise them. Help us teach them your ways. But Lord, they belong to you. And we recognize they're not ours, but they're yours. And that's the desire that Kyle and Kayla have here today with Winnie and with their other children. And so they recognize their children are a blessing from, me, from him. They recognize they're a gift and they're an incredible responsibility. With that in view, we have, I want to read two scriptures to you guys as a charge to you guys and ask you a few questions to answer in front of your church family. First of all, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this text that was so loved by the Jewish people. Deuteronomy 6, 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you Rise. That God's plan for you with Winnie and for your others is to teach diligently the scriptures to your children. To talk about them. To have it fill your home where the gospel permeates all that you do. And the command in Ephesians 6 to fathers to do not provoke your children to anger. But to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That intentionality with your children of bringing them up in God's ways and keeping the gospel ever before them. That is God's unchanging plan for how parents raise their kids. So with that, I've got some questions for you guys. You've answered similar questions before in the past, but I'm going to get to ask them again in the presence of these friends. First of all, do you guys desire to seek God's grace in order for your own lives and together as a couple to seek after God and to love him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And we know you guys and know that you do. Do you desire your home to be a place where God's word permeates all that you do? We know that you do. Do you recognize this day that Winnie is a gift from God entrusted to you for you to raise? And do you commit this day by God's grace to teach Winnie God's ways, bringing her up in the wisdom and instruction of the Lord? And do you commit this day to be regularly praying for the day that Winnie will trust Christ and give her life to him? We know you do. Now, church family, if you've been around Gateway for a while, you know you're not off the hook. I've got a charge for you guys as well, because God has given us the blessing of church community, that we're not to walk our lives in isolation, but we have brothers and sisters to pray for us and encourage us and help us in practical ways. So with that in view, church family, will you agree to pray regularly for Kyle and Kayla as they raise Winnie, and to pray for Winnie that she'll trust Christ in her early age? Would you agree to pray for them on those things? That didn't sound very enthusiastic. Do you agree to pray for those things? And will you agree to come alongside these parents to encourage them and help them in practical ways as they raise their children? I know you will. Let me just remind you, we've committed to that with many other families over the years, and let's seek God's grace to be intentional in that. So I want to pray over you guys, and we're so excited for what the Lord is doing in your family. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for Kyle and for Kayla. We're grateful for their family. Thank you for the testimony of their love for you, their steadfastness in walking with you, and their home that is filled with the gospel and joy, and just the joy they bring to us and to so many others. And we thank you for them. We thank you for little Winnie. Lord, thank you for what a blessing she is. Thank you for how Kyle and Kayla recognize her as a gift from you and as a treasure. And I pray that you would give them much wisdom as they raise her, as they raise their other three as well, that you really would let their home be a place where laughter fills the home, where joy in the Lord fills the home, Lord, and where the gospel permeates their conversations as they sit, as they walk, as they play, that the gospel would permeate all that they do in their home. And Lord, we pray for Winnie, that as we pray for the other children before the Lord, that she would come to faith in Christ at an early age. You'd be drawing her to yourself and just be using her mightily for your kingdom purposes. And Lord, I'm just, as I thought this week, I've been praying for them, Lord, for some reason, Acts 4.31 kept coming to mind. This 
incredible testimony in the book of Acts to where when the people had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. We pray that for little Lenny, that she would come to faith in Christ, and Lord, that you would be drawing her to yourself, and you would fill her with your Holy Spirit, that her life would be a life marked by speaking the word of God with boldness, that whether she's at school as she gets older, and her jobs as she's older, Lord, she would be one who makes Christ known throughout her life, and use her mightily for your glory and her kingdom purposes. Thank you for the sweet family. We pray your blessings upon them in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give a round of applause for them. But we do have a little Bible for Winnie as well. So. Well, we're going to have a time of prayer. So Greg Teal, one of our elders, is going to come up here and lead us in an intercessory prayer time. Because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you as a needy people. Lord, not having any power of our own, but saying we are wholeheartedly looking to you. We do not know what to do, but Lord, we look to you. Thank you for your promise, Lord, that you will fight on our behalf, Lord. We're just so, so grateful. And Lord, we pray, even today, we begin in our church praying for some of the different ministries. Lord, we pray for our youth. Lord, as they start a new study on a biblical worldview, God, would you just use this to shape their hearts and their minds? That your word would be powerful. Lord, would change and transform them. Lord, if they're not saved, Lord, would you bring them to saving knowledge of you? Lord, would you grow them up? that they might be warriors who stand firm in this world. And Lord, we, we thank you for Seth and the Hope's ministry and Megan as they step into the hard places. Lord, at Capitol Heights, Junior High, and the families of those students, Lord, just so many situations, Lord, where we don't know what to do, where they don't know what to do, but we look to you. And we pray for a fellow church in town, Perry Hill United Methodist Church and Pastor Mark Osgood. Lord, thank you for, Lord, the other churches in town. Lord, thank you for the pastors that, that labor to shepherd. Lord, we pray your grace. Lord, your perseverance, Lord, your long-suffering. Lord, in that role, Lord, would you just bless this church and bless the pastor and his family. Lord, we 
want to be faithful to pray for our, our government, Lord, and we want to pray locally here for Mayor Reed and the city council as they, Lord, try to lead this city with wisdom. Lord, we would ask that you would have them turn to you, Lord, that they would look to you for wisdom and leading. And Lord, we thank you that we know that you have appointed them, that you're in control. And Lord, we pray for global missions today, uh, the Connect Church in Bratislava, Slovakia. Uh, Lord, that they would be able to meet again after all the different COVID restrictions there. Lord, that they would be bold in stepping out into their community to reach the gospel, Lord, that that's their heart. Lord, we thank you for, Lord, just how you have been so gracious and generous to us as a church, Lord, to provide every need that we have. Lord, we thank you for those who have been generous in their giving, Lord. And we just pray that we would be good stewards of that that you've blessed us with. And Lord, we thank you for, for Grady, Lord, as he brings the word week in and week out. Lord, faithful to, uh, Lord, to proclaim your word. Lord, and we pray that we would be faithful, Lord, to walk in your word. Lord, would you do a work uh, on our ears and our hearts today uh, as Grady preaches. So, Lord, we commit the rest of this time to you. We worship you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And boys and girls in first to fourth grade, you're dismissed for kids' worship. So just head to these doors right here, first to fourth grade. Head to kids' worship. So there you go. If you want to find Acts chapter 6 in your copy of God's Word, Acts chapter 6. We are pausing our study of Rooted as we've been working through a catechism of looking at understanding what we believe. We're going to actually pause that for the next three weeks to talk about something important in the life of the church. Now, if you were with us at Gateway a year ago, you remember at the time we were working through the letter of James very slowly, like we do all of our studies, right? And we paused that one for several weeks to look at the role of elders in the life of the church. We spent two weeks a year ago looking at the role of elders, their responsibility, then we looked a week at their qualifications, and that was foundational for us. That was to prepare us for elder elections that we had last fall. As you, the church family, responded to God's word in the nomination process and the election process, God put together this amazing elder team that we have today, and I'm so thankful to get to serve alongside these brothers. Now we're going to follow that same pattern in the life of deacons here at Gateway for this very important office of leadership in the life of the church. Now, before we jump into it this morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 6. Somewhere. Before we jump in that, I just want to remind us, in the New Testament, there's two distinct groups of leaders in the New Testament church. Those are the elders and those are the deacons. And both groups are essential for a church to be healthy. Now, one year ago, when we looked at the role of elders, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 5. If you remember from a year back, I know that seems like a long time ago, we saw that the role of elders in the church was to eagerly know the people, was to teach the people, was to lead the people, was to protect the people. And we kind of put it all under the idea of shepherding, that the elders are the spiritual shepherds of the church who know the flock, who care for the flock, who take care of the needs of the flock by leading them and protecting them. It was all under the idea of shepherding. Today we're going to go to Acts chapter 6 to see the role of deacons in the life of the church. Now, depending on your church background, what you hear today may sound very different than perhaps what you've heard about deacons in other places. And so my prayer for us today is that we will let Scripture shape our understanding of the role of deacons in the church more so than our past traditions or perhaps what we've heard or even experienced. But we see what the Word of God shows us about the role of deacons in the life of the church. Now, as we look at Acts chapter 6 this morning, before we read the text, I want to tell you there's four questions we're going to use this morning to help us understand the role of deacons, four questions to understand this text. The first one is this. 
Why did the early church select deacons? So we'll start with the why question. Why did the church select deacons? The second question will be, how did they select the deacons? That will be followed up with, who was selected to be the deacons? And what was the result of having deacons? So why did the church select deacons? How did they select the deacons? Who was selected to be deacons? And what was the result? So why, how, who, and what? So keep those in view and let's look at God's word together. Acts chapter 6 verses 1 to 7. Can I ask you to stand please in honor of the reading of the word of God? I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. We will have the words on the screen for you. Be looking for, again, why the church selected deacons, how they did so, who they were. And notice at the end today what the remarkable results were. Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And where they said, Please the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. Verse 7, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've shown us your plan for our lives and your plan for how the church is to function. I pray today you give us much grace to understand this important office of the role of deacons. Lord, I think back to a year ago, and as you guided us through your word, and Lord, as we responded to your word through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, Lord, how you put together the elder team that we have now, and Lord, we're so thankful for that. And Lord, we pray now as we begin this process of the church, this important office of deacons, that you would do the same thing, that your word would be foundational to us, your word would shape us and teach us and guide us, and Lord, that you would be raising up the men you desire to be the deacons here at Gateway Baptist Church. We thank you for this, and we pray that you'll shape all of us through your word this morning, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. Now, before we jump into this text, just a little background to make sure we understand what we're looking at as we go to the book of Acts this morning. This is the book of Acts. This was written by Luke, the same one who wrote the gospel of Luke that carries his name with it. And Luke wrote Acts to show us how God established the church, to show us how God built up the church. And in the earlier chapters of Acts, you see some incredible things happen. If you go back to Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 43, you see what's happening as the church begins to grow. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were out of that day about 3,000 souls, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And then in verse 43, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So you have this incredible time as the church is established and thousands are coming to faith in Christ and people were having things in common and the church was growing and the gospel was going forth. It's an amazing time to watch the church be established. Friends, one thing we see throughout scripture, one thing we see throughout church history is anytime God moves, Satan opposes. Because Satan hates God and hates the glory. Satan hates healthy churches praising God and making Christ known. And so what follows in these next several chapters of Acts is Satan launching three different attacks to stop the church. Three different attacks to keep the church from being the church. The first thing he soon does after Pentecost here, when the Holy Spirit falls and the church establishes in chapter 4, he sends persecution. His strategy is to persecute the believers to try to get them to be quiet and not be the church. You see that in Acts chapter 4, verse 1. 
And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So Satan hates the church growing, hates what's happened after Christ's resurrection here as the church is born. And so he sends persecution. But it backfires as the church is persecuted and they have joy-facing persecution. The gospel advances and about 2,000 more come to faith in Christ in the midst of this persecution. So when that doesn't work, Satan launches a second attack on the church. And that's in chapter 5. If he can't destroy the church from without, he's going to try to destroy the church from within. And so in Acts chapter 5, he tempts some early believers, Ananias and Sapphira, to lie. To lie about property they had, to lie about what they were giving to the church, to try to bring sin, particularly here the sin of deceit, into the local church. And in Acts chapter 5, verse 3, you see what happens here. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. Now notice verse 5. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. Yeah, I think that's an understatement, right? Great fear came upon them because God was so concerned for the purity of the church. When Satan tries to come from within and create deceit and lies and basically moral corruption inside the body, God does something very drastic here for the purity of his church. So Satan sends persecution, it backfires, and the church grows. So he tries to get these people to lie and deceive in the church, and that backfires, and the church is still growing. So Satan has a third strategy, a third attack that's going to come, and that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 6 this morning. And this is perhaps the most clever of all Satan's attacks because it's a two-edged sword. He's trying to create disunity in the church and at the same time distract the leaders from teaching the Word of God. It's kind of a two-edged sword in this third attack against the early church to create disunity and division among believers and to distract the apostles from teaching the Word of God. And that's where we pick up in the story of the early church in Acts chapter 6 this morning. So with that in place, let's go to our four questions for the morning to understand deacons in the life of the church. Number one, why did the church select deacons? Go back to Acts 6 verse 1 where we read earlier. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number. Now just pause there. These days, these are the days of the early church. The days of this explosive growth of miracles, of signs and wonder, of lives being transformed and countless multitudes of lost coming to faith in Christ. These are the days of the enemy trying to stop the church. And what happens here? Look at the second part of verse 1 here. A complaint by the Hellenist arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, there's a real problem here. This is not an imagined problem. There's a real problem. Now, to understand the problem, you have to realize the Jews had been scattered from Jerusalem. Many had been sent out for a long time, and they had not been living in Jerusalem. Now, as the times they were in, people were moving back into Jerusalem, particularly some of the widows were moving back. Their husbands had died, and they wanted to return to Jerusalem. And these were called the Hellenists. These were Jews who had lived abroad. And because they lived abroad, they spoke Greek, not Aramaic and Hebrew. And they lived in a Greek culture. They spent their whole lives in Greek culture, so they thought like the Greeks, and they lived more like the Greeks. So they moved back to Jerusalem. Well, then you have the Hebrew Jews. These are the ones who had lived in Jerusalem during this time. And so you have widows who had a Greek culture and widows who had a Hebrew culture, widows who spoke Greek and widows who spoke Hebrew. You had a language difference and a cultural difference, and there was already tension between these groups. The church is born, and people from different backgrounds come together. Jew and Gentile come together in the early church. So you have these 
Greek-speaking widows and these um, Hebrew-speaking widows who are now in the church together. There was already tension that they brought in to the church. And this tension comes to a head over all things food. Again, go back to verse 1 here. A complaint by the Hellenists, those are the Greek-speaking Jews, arose among the, against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, remember at the time there was no social security. The only way for widows to survive was through the generosity of others. And so the church was the one who would provide for the widows here. And these Greek-speaking widows were not getting enough. Now, friends, there's no indication in Scripture this was intentional. This appears to be an oversight because of the language and cultural barrier. The, this time, the apostles had no hesitancy rebuking sin. I mean, they just called out Ananias and Sapphira and see a guy drop dead in the service, right? There's no hesitancy in calling out sin where there's sin. But in this text, there's no rebuke. When the apostles hear this, don't rebuke the people giving out food. How dare you slight them? It appears to be a legitimate misunderstanding because of a cultural and a language difference. But notice what Satan does here. He takes a situation of an honest misunderstanding here, and he uses it to blow up a division in the early church. And instead of these Hellenistic widows handling things biblically, what do they do here? A complaint arose. Now, in the Greek here, this word complaint means a complaint expressed by murmuring. They were beginning to murmur. They were beginning to talk behind other people's back. Can you believe they didn't give us enough food? Can you imagine? Why are they sliding us? And it turned into this complaining and murmuring against the apostles, against the church, against the people giving out the food. And so there's a real need, a real situation that needs to be addressed. But what Satan loves to do is take those situations and try to blow it up to divide the church. And it was dangerous for the unity of the local church. And the apostles knew it, and the people did it as well. And so apparently someone had a creative solution here to it. And we're not told exactly what the solution is, but we see what the proposal was in the apostles' response here. Look at verse 2 of our text this morning here. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God and serve tables. Now, what are they talking about here? Apparently, someone suggested that because these Greek-speaking widows felt left out, that it would be a good idea for Peter, James, and John, these apostles themselves, to get involved, to go handle the distribution themselves. And you can imagine some well-meaning suggestions. Someone could go to them and say, hey, Peter, James, John, these precious widows feel slighted. If you guys will just come, they've heard you teaching for a long time. If you'll just come and give out the food, it'll mean so much to them. They'll feel so loved and it'll solve their problem. It'll do good to them to know that the church leaders care. You can just imagine how that perhaps would be phrased. And the apostles respond really strongly to this suggestion. Now, look at what they say here. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, in our culture, this sounds kind of harsh and offensive at first, doesn't it? You can read that and be like, what are they thinking? Why are they saying this? Now, what they're not saying here, they're not saying this is not a real need. They're not in any way downplaying the need of the widows, because what follows is them actually coming up with a plan to address it. They also are not saying we are above serving food. They're not saying we're above this, we're better than this, this is not for us to do. They're not above that in any way. What they are saying is we are humans we're limited. We only have so much time in the day. They're recognizing their limitations. And for them to be able to give out the food to everyone would mean they wouldn't have adequate time to also be able to teach the word. Again, they say it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Friends, they understand this thing that we all need to remember. We're limited. We all have limited time. We all have limited energy. We all have limited spiritual gifts. We all have limited maturity. There's only so much we can do. Now, you've heard in some of the elder updates before that our elder team this year has been slowly reading through a book called Lead from Paul Tripp. Now, in this book, it starts interesting. If you've ever read leadership books or taken leadership classes, one of the first things in this book to be a good leader is you have to understand your limitations. Now, 
I've taken leadership classes. I've read leadership books. I don't think I've ever had another leadership book start with limitations as your foundation. But that's where he starts because we are all limited people. There's only so much that we can do. We can't be everything to everyone and do everything for everyone. And that's what the apostles are recognizing here. They cannot adequately spiritually lead all these thousands coming to faith in Christ to disciple them and teach them the word and have time to also distribute the food. They're not above it. That's just not what they have the capacity for. One of the authors I read this week said it this way. The apostles would have dried up spiritually under the pressure of serving meals plus all the counseling and preaching with little time left for preparation and for prayer. There's the reality trying to do everything and be everything to everyone has destroyed so many church leaders, so many elder teams, so many church pastoral teams, and so many churches over the years. So the apostles were not saying we're above serving the food. They're just saying God has called us to do something different. Go down to verse 4. Here's what they're focusing on. They're not saying, hey, we're not going to serve the food because we're going on vacation for the next few months. No, they're saying we have something else we have to focus on. Verse 4, but we will devote ourselves. We'll focus our time, our energy. We're going to give our whole selves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. That's a study and teaching of Scriptures. Friends, the apostles, if they had taken on the food distribution themselves, they could have burned out. The teaching in the church would have suffered. It could have opened the church up to all sorts of dangers if they were not properly taught. And in addition to that, if they did it themselves... People who were gifted by God to meet that need wouldn't step in to that role. And so the good news here is even though the apostles were limited and couldn't do everything, God had already prepared other people in the church to step up and meet this need. And so the first deacons are elected. The first group tasked with meeting the practical needs of the church are elected here. Now you may be thinking, Grady, I don't see the word deacon anywhere in Acts chapter 6. How do we know this is really the deacons. Well, as an official title, no, it doesn't have the word deacon, but the word, is, the word deacon is in here. In fact, if you go back to verse 2, it's here. It just gets lost in our translation. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples, said it is not right that we should go to the preaching of the word. Now, literally it says, to deacon tables. Because in Greek, the word deacon just is a word that means to serve. And so the apostles say here that we don't have the capacity to deacon tables, to serve tables. Deacon is just a word that means to serve. And so they elected a team to serve to meet this specific need. And over time, this serve team became to be called the deacons, the servants, because they were meeting the needs of the church. And it became a formal office in the life of the church. So by the time Paul writes Philippians in AD 62, look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Notice how it's already a formal office and. I think we got it up there for you. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Do we have it up there, Matt? Yeah, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers, that's the elders, and the deacons. So by 62 AD, these groups that have formed in the church to serve and meet the practical needs were now recognized as deacon teams, as servant teams in the life of the church. So first question, why did the church select deacons to meet very real practical needs in the body? So the apostles could preach and teach the word, and so the church could be spiritually taught and physically cared for as well. That's the why question. Second question, how did they select the deacons? Well, quick answer, they entrusted the church with the selection process. They entrusted the church, the congregation, to select the deacons. You can go back to verse number two of our text for this morning. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples. Now, the scholars say that's probably about 8,000 believers in Jerusalem. Talk about a big member meeting, right? If you ever go to church member meetings, we'll have one in December here. But they brought the whole Jerusalem church together here, about 8,000 people to present before them the need in this situation. Notice what they did in this gathering. Verse 3, Therefore, brothers, they're now speaking to the congregation, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and full of wisdom, which we will appoint to 
this duty. They just simply laid out the qualifications to the church. We'll talk about that in a minute. And they trusted the Holy Spirit to work in his people to select the right men to be the deacons. Now, how did the church respond to this request? We'll go down to verse 5 of our text today. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. I mean, that's remarkable. You have 8,000 very young believers, many who have just been have faith in Christ in recent months. You've got 8,000 of them on the city, and they say, here's our need. The widows aren't being cared for properly. We don't have the capacity to do it and still teach you the word like we should. Would you select some men to do it? And it pleased all 8,000 who were gathered because they saw the wisdom of the Lord in putting together deacons to meet the needs of the church. The Holy Spirit confirmed among the 8,000 this plan from the apostles. So why did they select deacons? To meet a very real practical need in the body. How did they select the deacons? They entrusted the congregation to identify the men. So question three then. Who was selected to be the deacons? Who was selected to be the deacons? We'll go back to verse 3 of our text this morning. They give some basic qualifications here in verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among yourselves seven men, notice this, of good repute, full of the Spirit, and full of wisdom. Now stop there for a minute and look at this list. What is missing from this list? Anything that is about a specific qualification related to like professionalism or the nature of the task. They didn't say pick out the men who have the best connection with the farmers and get us the food at the best discounted prices. Or pick out the men who are best at getting the food from the farmland back to Jerusalem. Or pick out the men who are the most gifted at cross-cultural communication because this is a cultural issue at work here. They, that's not the qualifications listed. They didn't include any professional qualifications here. The qualifications to meet this need of the body were three. One, to be of good repute. They meant to have a good reputation, to be men of character. doesn't mean they're perfect, because none of us are perfect. No one is perfect but God alone. But these were men who knew how to repent, who identified their sin and repented their sin. Men who desired to please God and to pursue Him. And the evidence of God transforming them was obvious to those around them. They had a good reputation. Number two, they were full of the Holy Spirit. I mean, they were experiencing the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in their life. They were individuals who had the Holy Spirit guiding them and teaching them and convicting them and leading them in their life, giving them strength to walk with God. And it was obvious to those around them the Holy Spirit was filling them. And the third qualification is they were men of wisdom. They knew how to apply the Word of God to everyday life. The three qualifications, not, again, were they good farmers or were they good at communication, but they were men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, and wisdom. And in verse 5, the church found those men. Go back down to verse 5 and look at what we're told there. And when they said, please the whole gathering, they chose these seven. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenaeus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. Now, these seven friends, we don't know anything about five of them. We have no clue from the rest of Scripture who five of them are. But we know something about the first two, Stephen and Philip. Stephen is the one who preached an epic sermon before he got stoned. If you want to read that later, go to Acts 7. This was a man who was not just a man who had a gift to serve the widows, but he was a man who was also a gifted evangelist and who could preach this powerful sermon in Acts 7. What about Philip? He was an evangelist who traveled. He's the one who miraculously got transported by God to go preach to the Ethiopian eunuch and share the gospel with this Ethiopian eunuch. So Stephen and Philip, we know about. These were men of great faith. They were truly men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who were selected to care for the widows. And obviously they did other things as well as we see in Acts 7 and 8. So why did they select deacons? To meet a real practical need in the body. How did they select the deacons? They entrusted the church with identifying the men. And who did they select? They selected spirit-filled, godly men who had wisdom. Now question four, what was the result 
of putting deacons in the early church. What was the result? Now, there's, th- there's a lot, but there's three here. One's kind of between the lines. But the, f- the first result was that the widows were cared for. The widows were cared for. This practical need was met. Now, go back down to verse 5 again. What they said pleased the whole gathering. Who's in the whole gathering? These widows who are being neglected. This pleased them. These people of Greek background and Hebrew background together, these groups that normally clashed, went, wow, there's wisdom in this. It pleased them. And the fact that the conflict goes away and the fact that the church grows shows us that these widows were cared for. This legitimate need got met when the church established the deacons. The people were cared for. Number two, what was the result? The apostles were able to focus on prayer and teaching. The apostles were able to focus on prayer and teaching. Go back to verse 4 of our text today. He says, but we will devote ourselves, we will focus our energy and our efforts to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Other individuals were released in the deacons to go meet the practical needs so the church teachers could pray and teach. This rooted the church in making sure the people were cared for and taught well both at the same time. So the widows were cared for. Number two, the apostles were able to pray and teach. And number three, was the result? The church grew. Remember, this was a situation that could have undone the church. This is a situation that was going to try to divide, the enemy was using to divide the church, and the situation the enemy was doing to try to distract the leaders so the church would be more vulnerable. But like the other two attacks that went before it, God's people prevailed, the gospel prevailed, and Satan was defeated once again. Look at verse 7. This is an incredible testimony of what happened when the deacon team was put in place. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now these verbs in the Greek are all in the imperfect tense. That means they're ongoing. The word of God increased and continued to do so. Disciples multiplied and continued to multiply. Priests believed and even more priests continued to believe because of what the church was being and doing. Why? Because the church took these two essential tasks in the body, teaching and member care, and they assigned a team to each one to do that. Now, this is the apostles at the time. They're not apostles still today, but the elders now take the task of teaching the Word of God. And so you have this model of a group leading and teaching in prayer and a group leading and meeting the practical needs of the body. So why did they select deacons? To meet a real need in the body. How did they select the deacons? The congregation did so. Who did they select? Spirit-filled, godly men who had wisdom. And what was the result? The Word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Now, friends, there's so many lessons for churches from this so many lessons for us, even here at Gateway. I want to suggest six lessons for us today from this very briefly as we think about how does this apply to us and how does this shape how we approach deacon election here at Gateway. So six truths, six lessons for us. Number one, deacon service is distinct from elder service in a church. Deacon service is distinct from elder service. These are not two offices that have the same responsibilities that provide checks and balances for each other. It's not the job of the deacons to give a checks and balance to the elders and the elders did checks and balance for the deacons. That's not what this is. These are, not, these are two distinct offices with different callings and different gifting because people in the church need to be properly taught and people in the church need to make sure their needs are properly met. Both deacon service and elder service, they're distinct. They're both time consuming. They're both exhausting and yet they're both very, very rewarding. And so it takes two distinct groups to make sure all these needs are met. So it's distinct from elder service. Number two, also deacon service is not inferior to elder service. Deacon service is not inferior to elder service. Now, friends, as we're honest about our history here at Gateway, there's something that I've heard over the years here 
And it's grieved me as I think about it. In our church culture over many years, this is not just something recent, there's no pointing fingers here, but in our church culture, there's been almost a military view of these two church offices. The elders in our history have been seen as the officers who make decisions, and the deacons have been seen as the enlisted men who or do the grunt work and, and implement those decisions. And friends, that's not biblical. That is not the way the Lord intended the church to operate. Deacons and elders are both equally important. They're both callings from God, and they just have different focuses and responsibilities. It's not officers and enlisted men. They're two officers in the church that work side by side to make sure the church is cared for. One is not better than the other. One is not superior to the other. Both require love for God. Both require love for people. Both require sacrifice and friends. Both are ministry, just different types. Elders do ministry of the word. Deacons do hands-on ministry, if you will. So deacon service is distinct from elder service. Number two, deacon service is not inferior to elder service. And number three, closely related, deacons are not stepping stones to becoming elders. Deacons are not stepping stones to becoming elders. Again, friends, to be honest about our culture here at Gateway, I've heard it said before by people at Gateway in the past that, hey, maybe some of our deacons are ready to be promoted to being elders. Friends, I know that was well-meaning, but friends, that's not biblical. Elder is not a promotion for deacons. For some deacons to to move to elder would actually be a demotion, not a promotion, because they need to be deaconing, because that's their gift and that's their calling on that. It's not one is better than the other. It's not a stepping stone. Both are offices of important leadership roles in the church with different gifts and different callings. There's an author, his name is Matt Smetherust. He wrote a great book on deacon ministry that our elders have studied that the deacon candidates will be studying this year. And here's what he said, and I thought it was so, such a good visual. He said, deaconing is not training wheels for eldering. Deaconing is not training wheels for eldering. It is a different office with a different aim, requiring in many cases different gifts. He says this, deacon service is too significant, too glorious to be a stepping stone to anything else. Think about it. Deacon service is too significant, too glorious to be a stepping stone to something else. So deaconing is not a stepping stone going, hey, maybe if I get elected deacon, then I can become an elder in a few years. No, friends, these are equally important callings, just different callings in the church. So the first three principles for us, deacon service is distinct from elder service, but it's not inferior to elder service, and it's not a stepping stone to elder service. Now, three more for us. Number four, deacon service is more about character than skill set. Deacon service is more about a character than about skill sets. Remember the qualifications here in Acts 6. It wasn't who knew the best prices from the farmers and who was the best at cross-cultural communication. It was who was godly, who was full of the Spirit, who was full of wisdom. And friends, the same is true today. Again, that same author I mentioned a minute ago said it so well. He said, a deacon is far more than someone who knows his way around Home Depot. Does he know his way around the Bible? And that's what we need in deacons, not the the men who know the best way around Home Depot or who best know how to do an Excel spreadsheet, but it's the men who love God, who are full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. That's next Sunday. We're going to dive into that a lot more. Number five, though, deacons are the leaders of service to the body. The deacons are the leaders of service to the body. They don't do it all. They're the ones who mobilize the church to meet the needs. Friends, seven men can't adequately care for all the widows in the Jerusalem church, all these different groups. They would have to mobilize others and train others to do this. So these seven were the ones who led out in ministry. They're the ones who cast the vision, who organized, who mobilized the church to serve. The deacons are not to be the do-it-all guys, where if you have a need, you call the deacon, the deacon comes do it. They're to be the leaders who mobilize the body to serve. They're to be the ministry team leaders. And friends, again, if we're honest about our, our culture at Gateway, we've not done a good job of this. Our deacons serve so faithfully. 
but we have stretched our deacons really, really thin, trying to have them be the everything and do everything. What we need are, are to have the deacons step up to be the ministry team leaders who mobilize the church and mobilize the volunteers to work with them to make sure the needs are met. So it's more about character than skill. They're the leaders of service to the body. And lastly, deacons are necessary for a church to be healthy. Deacons are necessary. They're absolutely necessary for a church to be healthy. I love how theologian Wayne Grudem says it. He says, Deacons' work is often quiet, but its effect is profound. Deacons' work is quiet, but its effect is profound. He says, The Bible's view of deacons is glorious. Let's not settle for a less. Friends, let's not settle for less. Let's hold up this view of deacons as we see in Scripture. So let's bring all this together for us as a church and with our idea this morning. So why do they select deacons to meet practical needs in the body? How do they select the deacons? The congregation selected them. Who did they select? Spirit-filled, godly men with wisdom. What was the result? The needs were met. The apostles were freed to teach and the church grew. So here's our main idea for the morning. If you want to bring it all together in one sentence, it's this. Churches desperately need deacons who lead the congregation and meeting its practical needs. Friends, this is not just like a nice add-on that, hey, we have a healthy church, so maybe we'll stick deacons over here. Like, this is essential. If we want to be a healthy church, you have to have a healthy elder team and a healthy deacon team. Both are essential for the New Testament church to function the way God designed for the church to function. We desperately need deacons who lead the congregation, not who do everything and burn out themselves, but who lead the congregation in meeting its practical needs. So with that, why does Gateway need deacons? Because, friends, we have a lot of needs in our church family. And I can't do it all, and our elder team can't do it all. There's so much more we as a church could do in terms of outreach and engaging the neighborhood and global missions and building community among the members and making sure the the sick are cared for and making sure the widows are adequately taken care of here and managing the organization of the church and negotiating better contracts to be better stewards of money. There's so much more and so many venues that we could do better and that we just simply are limited in our time and capacity, we need deacons to make sure the practical needs of the congregation are met. So how will Gateway elect deacons? Same as Acts 6 here. We trust you, the church body, to do that. We'll talk more about that next week. But the members will elect qualified individuals, qualified men, to be deacons here at Gateway. So who should you be praying about and thinking about to be deacons? Those who are men who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom and, ha- and are godly Men who love the Lord. Again, we're not looking for the man who knows the best discounts at Home Depot or who's best at Excel or best at negotiating contracts. We're looking for the men who love the Lord and can step into meeting these needs. Friends, when we first started this journey as an elder team, we've been working on rethinking deacon ministry for this whole year. When we first started the, the year and we started studying these things, we actually had a plan for you that we've since dropped. We're actually considering handing to you the church of body. Here's a list of things that need to be met in the body. We're going to give you specific things that we felt like weren't being adequately done in the care of the body and ask you to elect individuals to serve in those roles. We realize the danger of doing that. The text focuses on the, on the character men, not the qualification. We said, hey, we need a man who's going to be able to best do Excel spreadsheets in the office. Well, immediately you're not thinking character. You're going to start going towards, well, who do I know who's the best computer guy around? You know, our minds tend to do that. So we've pause that, and we're not going to hand you a list of the needs to better care for the body. We're going to trust in the sovereignty of God that if we as a church body put forward men who are of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit, and wisdom, those men will be able to step into their giftings, and God will raise up exactly what we need to make sure this body is well cared for. So who should you elect as deacons? Men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, men of good repute. And what will be the result, friends? Only God knows that. I don't know the future, and you don't know the future either. But I believe it will be like what we see in a lot of scripture and a lot of other churches and church history. Needs will better be met. 
more people will be serving the Lord here, that the elders, including myself, won't burn out being stretched too thin, that people will be better taught and disciple, people will be better cared for in their points of need, they'll have more community around them, and the church will be healthier and will continue to grow. Churches desperately need deacons who lead the congregation in meeting its practical needs, and that is true for us as well. So friends, this week, one simple challenge, would you simply pray? Would you be praying for us as a church that even this week, God will be stirring the hearts of the men that he is already calling to be the deacons of Gateway. We saw this happen last year in the elder process. God began to stir the hearts of the men who would eventually be selected by you, the congregation, to step up to be the shepherds of the body. And we've seen what God has done in that. And we're praying God does the same thing now in our deacon ministry. So be praying now for the men that need to join our current deacons that God is calling out to serve in this way. Would you be praying this week that God will start stirring their hearts? Would you be praying for the Lord to show you and help you identify who they are? And then next week as we dive into qualifications, we'll talk about the process of what that looks like. And we will trust the Lord to be leading us through this process because God knows what we need. He's already got the men here who are equipped and ready to do it, and it's up to us now to find them. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your love for your church. Lord, thank you that you've not left us trying to figure out how to dream up church on our own, Father. That we don't have to try to imagine what the best structure is or how we should set up our leadership teams. Lord, you've shown us that the church is to have elders who shepherd, who know, who lead, who protect, who care for through the ministry of the word and prayer, and deacons who come alongside people and lead ministry teams and caring for the needs of the body. Lord, we just thank you that you already have within our midst those who need to join our current deacons in the service of this body. And I pray even this week, Lord, you'd be stirring their hearts and they'd be sensing even now your calling to step into this role. And Lord, I pray for all of us that you give us wisdom because, Lord, this affects this church so deeply. And this affects the community around us. Lord, for us to be the church we need to be, a church that's going to seek to bring glory to you, a church where people can be fed the word and counseled the word and discipled the word, a church to where the gospel leaves this campus and makes it in the neighborhood around us and makes it to the nations. Lord, a church that's a place where the sick have people who walk alongside them, where the lonely find community, where the widows are cared for. Father, we can't do this unless you raise up the men who will be the shepherds and the deacons of this church. So Lord, thank you for the way you show your faithfulness to us so much. Lord, we as a church enter this process of the deacon elections in the weeks to come. But Lord, we just humbly ask that you to guide us. We don't want to mess up what you're doing. We want to simply humble ourselves before you and say, Lord, have your way in our midst. And Lord, with a sense of excitement, we long to see what you're doing. We look forward to seeing what you're going to do in our midst. And Lord, for all of us, Lord, I pray that you would be reminding us of your love for us this week. Reminding all of us that you've called all of us to serve in different ways. So this week, would you help us see opportunities to meet needs? Needs of brothers and sisters right here in our church family. Needs of neighbors and co-workers and friends at school. And even just random people we meet. Lord, help us all be sensitive to care for those around us. And lead us and guide us in all that we do. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning? So
our humble cry. Would you take that desire that we just expressed the song, and Lord, would you be our delight? Would you be the one that we're satisfied in? Lord, you know, there's so much that pulls at us, so much that so easy to put our delight in, our satisfaction apart from you, so much that we can be seeking for wisdom from apart from you. Lord, this week, would you give us much grace, Lord, to be satisfied in you and in you alone, for you alone to be our vision, the one leading us. 
Lord, keep our mind focused on you. Lord, we can't do that ourselves. So as we say in the beginning of service, Lord, bind our wandering hearts to you. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family. Have a great Sunday afternoon.